there's a saying that the Bible is like a parachute. It doesn't work if it's not opened. And I think all of us know that the Bible is the heart of our faith. But a lot of people try to read the Bible, but then bump into a lot of obstacles in meaning, in context, in trying to understand how it actually applies, especially some parts of the Old Testament that might not be relevant today, that cover laws and guidance on how to build a temple, etc., etc. I developed uh, an acronym that I find to be very helpful when I share it with people. I feel they also feel it's helpful. It's very simple. Pray, P-R-A-Y. And this acronym, of course, the first letter of the acronym, P, refers to prayer. And if you notice that before I read the gospel in church, there is a prayer that we say between the deacon and myself to help us prepare for the reading of the Bible, the gospel in the case that we are doing here in church, and also help us to enlighten our minds, ask God to enlighten our minds, and to help us apply what it is we're reading. There is this pattern of preparation in everything that we do in our prayers. At the beginning of the Divine Liturgy, we always start, Heavenly King, consoler of the Spirit of Truth, asking the Holy Spirit to help us pray, because Jesus said the Spirit will speak in you and with you. So the first part of reading the Bible is to stop and pray before you even open up your Bible, and to realize that since it is the Word of God, we want God to help us read and understand the Bible. The second may seem obvious, uh, but it actually is a very long process and lifetime process, actually, and that's R for read. Now, you might say, well, that is so obvious. Of course, I read the Bible in order to read the Bible, but actually, very often we read the Bible incorrectly. You know, it's great to have a verse of the Bible on your wall. It's great to have these apps that a, a verse pops up. But that's not actually reading the Bible. That's reading parts and sections of the Bible. We all need to develop a daily discipline where the Bible is part of our daily life in order for us to be able to uh, spend time and our actually our whole life reading the entire Bible so that when we read a passage, we actually understand the fuller context and the beauty of that passage and how it fits, how it's framed, how it's couched in a sense in a wider narrative. Uh, the number one podcast that has been on and off the number one spot was Father Mike Schmitz reading, reading the entire Bible, the Bible in a year, which has been pretty amazing how um, a Catholic priest reading the Bible and explaining the Bible has been the top and uh, surpassed every other podcast and of course, as I said, it's on and off as the top, but that just shows that there is interest and that reading the Bible is not just a verse that we exchange with each other. Of course, though, we need to have these verses that are important for us. So we need to discipline ourselves and read in an overarching way and in a way that we begin to see the connectedness of all the parts. So that this isn't very theoretical, let me explain at least one example, and I'm going to give another example in the reading of the readings that we read today. Everybody knows one of the most popular uh, gospels or one of the most popular parables that Jesus gave was the parable of the prodigal son. It's, even those who are not believers know it and can associate with the mercy or the difficult decision that the father had to make in welcoming his son back. So we might look at 
quotes within this verse in chapter 15 and say, wow, that's nice. What the, what the, what the son said, I have sinned against heaven and before you. Um, and we just might, be, might marvel at this one verse. But then when we read the entire verse, we see kind of the motion of the man, uh, the young man splitting from his father and wanting his inheritance even before his father died. And we might even marvel at that and stop there. And in fact, the Sunday Divine Liturgy, when we read that gospel, that's all we read. But this gospel is framed within uh, the entire chapter of the gospel of, of Luke chapter 15, which focuses on lost things. So if you thought that parable was, was a powerful parable, then when you read it in the full context, it becomes even more powerful because chapter 15 verses uh, 1 to 10, verses 1 to 7, I mean, is the parable of the lost sheep. And then from 8 to 10 is the parable of the lost coin. So what Jesus does is he prepares us for the parable of the lost son by saying and inviting those who are listening to him to reflect on what would happen if you lost your sheep. Oh, it would be terrible. That's uh, several hundred dollars. That's my dinner. That's uh, my livelihood. And he gets them riled up to understand, to be put a, be, for them to be put in touch with their emotions of one lost sheep among a hundred. And then he gives another example, one from the outside, from something that's observable in the fields to something that, that is observable at home. What would you do if you lost a coin? You, you, you clean your entire house to search for this little coin. And so Jesus invites those to reflect on their emotions of really um, having something lost and found. And then, and only then, can we fully understand the power of the parable of the lost son. Because if you have lost a sheep, one sheep, and you're upset and want it back, and you lost one coin, and you um, are upset and clean up your entire house and want it back, then how much more will you be upset and desire to have a lost son who comes back? That is the read aspect of the Bible, that if you don't read the entire passage, and of course, this is, this is um, in, 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 uh, surrounded or engulfed in the entire Gospels where Jesus comes to, to find the lost sheep, to find the lost children, which... Who are, who are us. So that's why reading and being patient with your reading, every single part of the Bible, even the parts that don't seem very significant, are important and are connected with each other. So read and begin to see the connections. However, if you only read, read one part, then you're not going to be able to see the parts that connect. So it needs a lot of discipline, and it's a lifetime challenge that is important for all of us to realize. Read and then analyze. Very often in my homily, or perhaps if you have a good Catholic study Bible, which everybody should have, whether in English or in Arabic, look at the footnotes and realize the, that words um, that, we are, that are translated into English mean something in Greek, and it's the Greek meaning that's important because that's the, that's the language that it was written in. So the analysis helps us, see, helps us see repetition, helps us see the purpose of those words, helps us see the context of those words, and etc. That in itself is a lifetime study. And of course, the last part, the why, is the yes. We've got to be able to say yes. This, we're not reading the Bible as some sort of um, historical narrative of something that happened 2,000 years ago somewhere else to some other people. 
we look at the Bible, the lost son, it's like, oh, isn't that great? The, the father did such a good job in welcoming him. Oh, isn't that terrible? The, the son, the other son, the older son was, uh, was jealous. Oh, it's terrible. It was a great story. Okay, let's change the channel and go to watch something else or, or read something else. No, it's supposed to strike us. It says, what, how do we reflect um, our relationship with God the Father and His love for us and how do we reflect our um, love for each other. So that's pray, read, analyze, and say yes. And that pattern should be present every time not only you read at home but also that you come to church and listen to the gospel being read. In addition to the context of the Bible that is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, or Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we also have another context of the Bible, and that is what we call the liturgical context, related to the divine liturgy that we celebrate every Sunday. And, of course, we celebrated Easter, Pascha, the resurrection of Christ, and now we are in the, what we call the Paschal season. So if you noticed, all the, all the gospel readings and the epistle readings since Pascha have focused on some element of the resurrection. So they didn't happen after the resurrection, but now in view of the resurrection, the affirmation of Thomas, the, the, the gospel of the Samaritan woman who Jesus tells her, I will, give you, I will give you living water, that gains new meaning because that living water was no, is now no longer only for her or for the people of, of her town in Samaria, but it's for all of us when we accept Christ, uh, Christ's death and resurrection in our daily life. So that's the dynamic that the divine liturgy um, presents to us. So it's very important to be able to analyze what's going on because this is very rich. And that's why in our daily prayers, I think many people have been praying with us every morning at 11 o'clock, and we try as much as we can to connect it to the divine liturgy and to remind us that we need to prepare for the Sunday divine liturgy. We can't just walk in and walk out as if we're doing everything else or some sort of drive-through. And that's why this aspect of reading and analysis is a lifetime process. And the more you dig in, the more you will find. This is actually, um, these two readings are so rich today. We are focusing on uh, Paul and Silas being put into prison and then uh, Jesus healing a man born blind. These are not unrelated and they fit very beautifully in this theme of Jesus' death and resurrection and his recreation. How so? When we read the Bible, the little words are always very important. I was, reading a do I was watching a documentary on Agatha Christie, really fascinating, fascinating person, and how the details in her stories made her who she was. And guess what? Um, the Bible is much better than that, much better than an Agatha Christie novel or story because the meaning of the Bible, and I guess you can argue the meaning of anything that is written in the details, is in the details, whether it be a contract or a letter, etc., etc. But let's look at some of the details of today's gospel and epistle reading. Jesus passes by and he sees a man blind from birth. Number one, in the inner, the text itself, let's look at it before we look at how it relates to others. Jesus, imagine Jesus passing by our life, or people sometimes say, I wish I was around when Jesus was, was, was alive on the earth. Well, he is. Let me just tell you right now, he is. 
So consider Jesus alive with you in his word that continues to dwell in our midst. Jesus passes by and he saw. Just stop at this one word, and he saw. Guess what? Jesus sees you. Not in the sense of, you know, um, surveillance camera, but he sees what you're feeling in order to be with you. He's not monitoring you. He's seeing you. He's with you. Jesus saw a man born blind from his birth. The man didn't see him, and the irony is the people around the man wanted to ignore him, so they did not see him. Jesus saw him. Jesus saw the man. And then when they did see him, they actually saw him in the wrong way. They asked Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? In other words, his identity was not as a, as a child of God, as a beautiful um, child of his parents as well, but as a person, or as, a ver as a visible mark of some sort of perceived sin. Who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind? And what does Jesus say? Neither has this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God may be made manifest in him. And then Jesus goes on to teach why that verse that he says is so important. He says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And then Jesus goes on to spit on the ground, make clay, and anoint the man's eyes with clay, and he goes to tell him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. I'm going to stop there on that part and explain to you why context is so important. There's a principle in reading the Bible or studying the Bible called, all text is context. So what is the context of this, of this, of this passage? Not only the context of John 9 or 8 or 10, that section, but the context of the entire Bible, and that's why it's so important to read the entire Bible and know it from beginning to end, so that every passage you read fits in to the larger narrative. What is the context of this? Number one is Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. For those of you who know uh, or have read in detail Genesis 1, 2, and 3, you know that there are also patterns in Genesis 1, 2, and 3 where God created the heavens and the earth. What is, that's the first verse. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In other words, God is the source of creation. God is the source of creating that man too. The earth, verse 2, the earth was without form and void. And, are you ready for this? Darkness was upon the face of the deep. Everything was dark when God created. We couldn't see anything and nothing could be seen. In fact, people weren't there. Everything was darkness. And what did God do? He created light out of darkness. So what does Jesus do in this, in this passage? He reminds them that he is the same God who created the heavens. He's, we are, believe in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God, Jesus was not created in the creed we say, begotten, not made. He was in the beginning with the, with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Darkness was upon the face of the earth, and the Spirit of God was moving over the face of the waters. Right from verses 1 and 2, we see the, the uh, indication of the Holy Trinity. And this is where the further parallels or context with this gospel that we read today continues. Then God said, God spoke. In this gospel, Jesus passes by, he sees, and he speaks. He speaks healing 
in Genesis, Jesus, in Genesis, God speaks creation. And he said, and this pattern is repeated over and over again. I'd ask you to uh, read the book of Genesis and either circle if you are able to print it out or highlight it and whatever you want. Highlight everywhere where it says God said, God saw, God called. All those passages, and you see it's repeated. God created in this passage. God saw the, the, uh, the face of the earth. And then God said, let there be light. And there was light. In other words, here, a very important nuance is that when we make a decision, I'm going to decide I'm going to go to a restaurant. But then I change my mind, I'm going to eat at home. But then I change my mind, I'm going to go to someone's house. We make decisions and they don't quite fall into place. I decide I want to do, have a certain job. I decide I want to do something. And halfway between the process, the, pro the plans change 16 times, right? With God, God says, and it is. God doesn't need to change his mind. As soon as God says things, they are. God's word creates. God has a creating word. He says, let there be light. The book of Genesis, and there was light. Right away, as soon as God speaks, it's not like he starts thinking about it, planning. God said, and there was light. And then God saw that the light was good. God called the light day. And then God continued in his creation. So this pattern of seeing and saying is repeated. So the intertwine or the connection here between the book of Genesis and um, the gospel of John and the context liturgically that we pray, uh, that, we, that gathers us this morning to pray, is that with the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus is taking us back to creation. He says, although humanity sinned, although in Adam and Eve and all of humanity were separated from God because of their sins. Through my death and resurrection, I am opening for all of you the gates of eternal life. I am restoring. I'm going back to Genesis. We're not just going back to the life of Jesus or Good Friday. We're going back to Genesis and recalling the sin and the division and the harm. You can read the entire passage. Unfortunately, we don't have time for that today. Um, and see how... Adam and Eve split from God resulted in a breakdown in society. So God says, just like the father says in the prodigal son, I welcome you back. With my death and resurrection, I will restore humanity. I will reconcile humanity to God, and I will give you my spirit and my life to be with you. That's the book of Genesis and connected to this reading. Uh, I had actually, uh, believe it or not, quite a bit more to share with you on this, but um, uh, one final point on the gospel reading. It is the gospel, sorry, the epistle reading. It is the epistle reading of uh, Paul and Silas exiting or being imprisoned and then exiting prison. And that's also a parallel very closely if you look at the words, which unfortunately we don't have a whole lot of time to do today. I invite you to do that by yourself is look at the words and see the parallels between the way that Paul and Silas fearlessly preached the good news of Jesus' resurrection, along with the parallels to what happened to Jesus before his death and resurrection. He proclaimed the good news, but he was beaten as the, um, the, go uh, as the, uh, the Gospels tell us. But in this case, with Paul and Silas, they, when they were caught, they were inflicted with many blows upon them, 
they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was charged to keep them safely. Direct parallel to Christ's um, scourging and then entry into prison, but then also crucifixion. Having received this charge, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Just like Jesus, after his death, was captured, was crucified, and then an additional um, entry into the tomb with guards around the tomb so that he could not get out. And that's exactly what happened to the disciples. And guess what? There was an earthquake here. There was also an earthquake at the resurrection. These are not coincidences that just happened to be there. These are direct parallels to remind us that reading the Bible needs to be a comprehensive process and we begin to, need, begin to notice that there are parallels in order to reinforce a particular theme. What's that particular theme? That the Word of God cannot be held back. God cannot be held back. And the same power that Jesus showed he had, he now gives to the disciples. And then the disciples give to all of you. So it's not one power that Jesus had, one power the disciples had, and, and a minor power that you have. We all share that one power of the living God. In closing, um, I know this has gone a little longer than usual, but I felt um, it was really important to kind of unpack some of these verses for us to really appreciate the depths of reading the Bible and to be convinced anew of the importance of reading the Bible. What does... Jesus tell the man, and what happens in this epistle is a parallel also to baptism. So it goes back to creation, to water, to light, but also forward to the life of the church, where he washes and he's made clean, where after the jailer um, wants to kill himself because he knew that by um, the prisoners escaping, he would have been killed. He knew that, he knew that was going to be the case. Paul and Silas tell him not to, and when they believe in the power of Jesus Christ, they, he, they, he asks them, what do I need to do? He says, be baptized, you and your household. And of course, that inaugurates the life of the church. When the apostles went out to the end of the world, what do I need to do? They told everyone, you need to be baptized, uh, you and your household. And that is one of the reasons why within the Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church and the Coptic Church and all the, all the apostolic churches, we baptize children to remind ourselves that baptism is like the covenant of the Old Testament that is not just a private event. It is our faith. We, we live our faith within the context of our family and we live it within the context of a community of believers, which we call the church. So this, is, this, is, this inaugurates the life of the church as well. So in brief, whatever um, element of this gospel touches you, we have done some praying, we have read in context, we've done a little bit of analysis, and now it's up to you to say yes in whatever way possible. Whether it be, what have I done with my baptism? How am I living my baptismal vows and promises? How am I living the power of the Holy Spirit in me? How am I blind? All of us are blind in some way or another. And how have I been able to see as a result of the gospel, and how am I sharing that pattern with those around me? So there is nothing more exciting than reading for me, the, for me reading the Bible. I, every time I read it, I find more and more in it, and I encourage you 
to really take up the Bible daily, to be patient with reading the Bible, to spend time in analyzing, look at the footnotes and reading, and most importantly, find um, an aspect or two that you are already successful with, because we all, we've all, we, all of us have made great strides in living the gospel, but also God never wants us to stay where we are. He wants, us to, take, he wants to take us to a deeper and deeper level of knowing that we were blind and now we, are, now we see, knowing that we have been baptized, and knowing we have the power to share the gospel, the gospel message, and absolutely nothing can hold us back from that.